You need to forget about all the normal rules that apply to both college and society. I'm Andrew. And I'm Josh. We're excited about this episode. We've been revisiting a lot of bands and artists from our childhood, specifically the 80s and early 90s. And we thought it would be fun this week to revisit a movie from our childhood. And quite possibly one of the biggest movies of the 80s, even though it came out at the the very beginning of the 80s. It, um, it, you know, obviously it became completely iconic, and uh, and the reason why is it's really good, and that of course is E.T. the Extraterrestrial. And Josh, you and I were talking about it. You did see this in the theater, or you did, or you you did, but you don't remember seeing it in the theater. You would have no, I, I definitely remember seeing it in the theater. Um, it was probably it was mm-hmm. probably my earliest memory of watching a movie. Because I remember the uh, yeah. the logo, you know, the ET logo at the beginning of the movie. It kind of filled the screen. That's what I remember most. And that purple crayon yeah. looking. Font. Yeah. So um, definitely remember that. And you know, as a kid, that kind of movie was good for kids because you know, it's like it it, it got you out of that. I'm going to school and then I go home. You know, that kind of routine thing. Because he he's also like a kind of like a kid who needs a friend you know and it's sort of fantasy you know so it it was a really good time to see that and to be alive as a kid and see a movie like that because there really aren't a lot of movies you know with that kind of plot that would work you know so we were lucky that we were kids and got to see it it played at the diamond point movie theater in waco texas which is where you and i would have seen it. I remember seeing it six or seven times in the theater, which was pretty rare in those days. You didn't go back and see movies that many times unless you really, really liked it. I was six, and so my parent, you know, obviously <laughs> I couldn't get there on my own, but so our entire family went and saw it six or seven times in the theater. And so, like, I have a lot of weird flashback kind of memories of being in the theater watching it. And just thinking how great it was and being scared at the beginning because <laughs> it starts with that that you know, were talking about the the et thing at the beginning the the font i remember thinking that was so scary looking and creepy looking and uh and the music is real ominous at the beginning it starts starts off borderline horror movie yeah but so this came out in 82 so spielberg in 75 i guess you know he does jaws and then in 78 he does close encounters of the third kind and then in 81 he does Raiders of the Lost Ark. But it seems like this is the movie that catapulted him beyond just a huge director to pretty much the guy in Hollywood, right? Yeah, it's like everybody would say, who do you think you are, Spielberg? Yeah, it's like if you were if you wanted to make movies or if you were interested in movies, you know, you'd often get that kind of sarcasm. What do you what do you think you are, Spielberg? Well, to, yeah, to put it in baseball terms or put it in sports terms, this if Steven Spielberg was a pitcher, at this time he is throwing 101 miles an hour fastballs all the time. Yeah. Like everything yeah. everything coming out of his hand is just gold. Did you know that they almost made a sequel? They were really close to making a sequel to this movie. 
You you have the plot, right? Um, <laughs> I don't have it in front of me, but if I recall, the plot was darker. It was a much darker movie. What what had happened was, well, first of all, it was going to be called ET Two: Nocturnal Fears, and what would have it was the the there was actually a ten page treatment that existed that Melissa Matheson, who wrote the original screenplay for ET and Spielberg wrote together and the plot was that a bunch of other aliens from this one planet come to earth after ET had left and they start they know about ET and they know about um, Elliot and his family and so they start terrorizing them and ET has to come back and save him Elliot I want your soul you're not ET why is why is ET yeah, the only it was, nice one? Um, it was it was it would have been it would have been the other side of the alien movie kind of thing. And so I think it didn't get made for a lot of reasons. I think one because it was just way too dark and I don't think audiences would have gone for it. Even though it may it may who knows, maybe it would have been better. But I think yeah, Real but scary. I think the the reason that Spielberg has always gone back to is that he just didn't want to do a sequel even though he ended up doing a sequel two years later with Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Boy, if it was modern day, they would have made a sequel. They would have made eight of them. Taking it, Spielberg's entire career, we'll throw out 1941. That's what he says, too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll throw out 1941. What's your top five Spielberg movies? I would say Close Encounters, number one. Uh, Raiders, number two. Jurassic Park, three. You know, I'm a huge fan of Catch Me If You Can. I know that's not like really popular and it's kind of like, what? Because it's not really classic Spielberg, but I just really like that movie. So I'm going to put that number four. Yeah, and then good. I'll put uh, E.T. number five. I mean, you, it's kind of weird to say that because E.T. is so classic, but I just think enjoyment wise at this moment in my life, turning on E.T. or turning on Catch Me If You Can, I would turn on Catch Me If You Can. I have Jaws in there, Jurassic Park, E.T., Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I think my fifth one, always, uh, Saving Private Ryan, that would be my fifth. Oh, gosh, yeah, that is a great one. Good war movie. Yeah, so those are my five. I mean, um, and all five of those are very, but I don't have Close Encounters in there, which I know is borderline sacrilegious because most 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 Spielberg fans, movie fans, whatever, I don't know what it is, but... Um, it is it is pretty slow and deliberately paced, yeah. you know. Um, and so, especially as a kid, I'm sure I wasn't like completely impressed by it. But even as a kid, though, for some reason, that one really grabbed me. And it's not uh, it's not really for kids, you mm-hmm. know. For a six year old, that was quite a lot, even though it's rated PG. But I never went back and watched it after that. I probably should give it another chance because I think I, I think I mean it's. It's on everybody else's list, so maybe I'm just missing something. Yeah, you're, you're missing something. <laughs> E.T. was everywhere. It seemed like E.T. was on the cover of People magazine for a solid year. This was all anyone talked about for years. Oh, yeah. I had the lunchbox. Remember the old yeah. metal lunchboxes we used to have, which which were probably dangerous yeah. to eat out of? <laughs> we, had, we had E.T. everything. We had an E.T. We had... E- Didn't you have like an E.T. blanket? Oh, yeah. I had... Yeah, like a bedspread. ET lamp, ET cookie jar, and then you go over to someone's house and they had they'd have everything ET also. Yeah, huge merchandising. So I guess in one respect, merchandising hasn't died out because it's still pretty 
It's still going strong. Yeah, these days. but this is one of those. This is one of the first merchandise tie-in movies that I can recall. I think Star Wars kind of started that. This one took it to a whole new level, though. I think. Did you have the ET Atari game? Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, giving me nightmares just thinking about it. I I don't know if I quote won the game because I think playing that I don't think anybody won it. Everybody was a loser. Yeah, because it was kind of like scary, like the the noises, the sounds, the music. I I don't know. It just you'd hear the footsteps of the detective coming up behind you all the time. Yeah, I don't you'd like hear that. You hear that, and they get louder. Really scary and frustrating. This was an interesting game. I mean, I think a lot of people know the story of it. The game was developed. So E.T. explodes. It's the biggest thing in the world. And Spielberg obviously is merchandising the hell out of the movie. And the, at the time, Atari 2600s were the game console. And so the logical thing to do was to make a video game of your movie. They made a Raiders of the Lost Ark video game. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I had that one too. That one wasn't yeah. as bad as E.T. That one was complicated though. That one was hard. It was, yeah. A lot of the games were complicated for some reason. It was, it was like they, whoever they were, probably because they were rushing to get the uh, games out just to sell them. E.T.'s no exception on that. To develop a video game, it would take you between six months to a year. Six months if you really were pushing it but most games were developed around a year and one of the things that set this game off on the wrong foot is that because of the fact that negotiations to for the licensing and for the game itself had to be worked out with Spielberg and Atari and everyone else it pushed the development towards the end of the year so the developer had five weeks to turn this game into something So it would be ready for Christmas. So whereas most games took between six months and a year, this one took five weeks. And the guy that developed it had developed his... He was a pretty successful developer. He was a 24-year-old kid. But he had had created Yar's Revenge, which at the time was one of the biggest Atari games ever. And the, the gameplay was cool, and it was just a fun game. It was another space game. So this guy was the logical choice to develop it. He did, and... He made it a multi-screen game like a lot of the games were becoming at that time, like you know, Pitfall, Raiders of the Lost Ark are some of the multi-screen games that I think of. But this one was created so quickly, the guy didn't have enough time to really troubleshoot it and to test all the bugs. So it comes out, and there's a huge backlash. Everyone goes out and buys it, and then through word of mouth, because you didn't have internet, you didn't have the ability to go to Reddit, and trash something so word of mouth spread and people stopped buying it and so there were several million unsold cartridges it uh it's linked to the demise of atari which is not really fair i think atari was going downhill anyway but um it was a total bust and i remember we played it and there's this one screen where you keep falling into a pit. You can't get out of it. You, you get out, and then you fall back in. You get out, and you fall back in. And there were no instructions on how to play it. I didn't, you didn't know what you were supposed to do. You just kind of had to sort of figure it out. There, were, there, wasn't, there weren't magazines that walked you through games at that time. 
it was a nightmare. And so like, I remember getting so frustrated every time I would play that game. I would take it out immediately and put in something else. I mean, it was, it was that annoying. I'm sure I threw the controller at the console. <laughs> I'm pretty, cause I used to do that. You remember I used to do that anyway. Like I'd get real mad and Nintendo, I did it all. Every game console, I threw the controller at it. I and don't this, remember that. Yeah. I always used to do it. Ask Jared. Yeah, I was always real, really like I, I was a store loser. I still am. You would react violently to losing video games, huh? So like apart from the merchandising, it seemed like everything was E.T. And so then inevitably you start having E.T. ripoffs. And I'm trying to think what the first E.T. ripoff movie might have been. Um, like the very first one, like right after that? R- yeah. Gosh. Explorers always felt very E.T.-ish. Yeah, yeah, definitely so. Explorers. Remember, do you remember when Ethan Hawke, his character, Ethan Hawke, when he goes, you know, he's trying to like convince the other two that they did something amazing. He's like, you know, we have gone where no man has gone before. It's pretty incredible. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, it is pretty incredible. They just like easily went into space. I'm like, uh, that's how, that's how big E.T. was. That's how much people wanted to capitalize on it because they're like just put throw together a movie where kids go into space and i remember explorers coming out and i was really excited by it i was like i couldn't wait. i don't think i saw it in the theater i don't think i saw it till it came out on video i must have just did you see it? you saw it in the theater yeah and it had the accompanying robert palmer uh music video and yeah what was that song? The movie. it was called all right, uh, rock and roll is here to stay. I think it's actually a, I think it's actually a remake, but um, anyway, it was a good song. Those were the those were the good old days of MTV when it was basically just just music videos, and when there was a an accompanying song by an artist for the movie, it would always show clips of the movie. The Neutron Dance and the Heat Is On. Man, I still get jazzed when I hear those songs. I still in the eighties they did a good job of training us you know, of getting pumped up, like everything, you know what I mean? Cause like, I still yeah. have like those initial flashback feelings of just getting pumped. Every time I hear the songs from movies in the eighties, I'm like, yeah. But like the videos were just long three to four minute commercials for the movie. Basically. Yeah. That had to have helped. Ghostbusters was another one that I remember the video having clips of the movie that made me just want to see the movie. And then at the end they were dancing <laughs> did you ever see um flight of the navigator <laughs> yeah when uh that that robot somehow ends up sounding like peewee herman yeah. <laughs> what? That I, has... I totally didn't i totally didn't question it though <laughs> i was like that's that, you know it actually was paul rubens doing the voice yeah yeah uh, like... i didn't know that at the time i was like man who who Somebody is trying to sound like he's like they yeah, did a very good he job. He did a good job of trying to make it sound like an imitation, which is really weird. But it, it's yeah. like, no, it's really that guy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't know that till just recently. That it I, was think actually, it, I think that movie killed that the main kid's career or something because he never was anything else. Um, I think he did it on his own because he apparently was a piece of work. Hang on, let me pull up. I, oh, I, there's I stories know. about the kid. Oh, I gotta oh, yeah. hear this. Joey Kramer was his name. <laughs> I laugh at his name. Like, wait, no, we're, we haven't even talked about him yet. Yeah, his, he spelled Kramer with a C. I remember that. Well, oh. so I, I Googled Joey Kramer. The first thing that comes up is his mugshot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Whoops. Whoopsie. He never quite recovered from being a child's yeah, quote, he, star. Yeah, he... Uh, so his here's his personal life as 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 according to Wikipedia, which knows all. He worked. He ended his acting career in the late '90s, which I'm gonna just go ahead and say that he so he was he was in Runaway, Daryl D A R Y L. I actually remember that movie, but I didn't remember oh, yeah. who was in it. The movie's he after was in, he was in Daryl. Yeah, Johnny Klein is who he played. I don't know who that is. Um, the movies following Flight of the Navigator that he was in, The Clan of the Cave Bear, oh, the, the Kingdom Chums, oh no, Stone Fox, yikes, and It's My Party. Yikes! Yeah. Uh, after the end of his acting career in the late '90s, he ended up getting employed in a small sporting goods store. Um, oh. I'm trying really hard not to laugh. So uh, then, a decade later, he began to run into conflict with the legal authorities. In 08, he was prosecuted. <laughs> the legal authorities. <laughs> in in 08, he was prosecuted for careless storage of a gun, receiving a sentence of three months probation. Later yes. in the year, he was convicted for possession of narcotics with the intention of trafficking, receiving oh. an imprisonment sentence of six months. And then in 2010, he was fined for consuming alcohol in a public place. In 2011, he was convicted of threatening behavior with a weapon and jailed for 30 days. Uh, in 2016, he was arrested in connection with a bank robbery of a Scotia bank outlet that occurred in British Columbia. Man, that life went off the rails. Like In 2016, he pled guilty to charges of robbing a bank, wearing a disguise to commit a crime, f- fleeing the police and dangerous... Di- his personal life, it's <laughs> just one giant red flag. Poor guy, uh, too. I mean, I feel guy. bad. It's like he was probably, you know, just acting and as a kid, and then just it screwed him up. And he just never, he never got back on track. Flight of the Navigator, like <laughs> back I to Flight of the Navigator. Back to, <laughs> <laughs> back to Flight of the Navigator. I saw that in the theater. Yeah, and did you did. Yeah. And I, I, liked I, I liked that one. Yeah, I liked it. I never would have really given it much thought, except that we had the Disney Channel in the 80s, and they played this movie every day on the Disney Channel. So me and my brothers were, you know, we had no choice but to watch it on, a, on an endless loop, it seemed like. I mean, we probably saw it 20 or 30 times. It, it became one of those movies, you know. Everybody has one of those movies in their list, like that. Not every, not anybody else probably has, but everybody has a few movies that personal, like, are just personal favorites because of some reason. And our, you know, this is one of those that would fall into that category because we had the Disney Channel and it was on all the time. I used to have it memorized, and um, Sarah Jessica Parker's in it. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's at that facility that they keep them in. Yeah, that nat- so what happens in that movie? I'm trying to remember. Sort of an unnatural so, sexual tension there, don't you think? Between yeah, her, like, he's like and twelve, the kid. and he's she's 12. like sixteen or seventeen. Yeah, it's 1986, man. Eight years since that night. This is totally rad. I mean, you're my big little brother. I think you should take a look at this. Where did this come from? From the mind of a twelve-year-old boy. Voice keeps calling. 
Fourth, it opens at, on the 4th of July. They're in Fort Lauderdale. And they're watching fireworks. And then he goes and looks for his brother, maybe, or something. Yeah, so his brother runs off, and then he, and falls, then he falls into, like, a pit or something. And then he gets abducted by aliens who take him, I guess... They, they don't show any of this, so you have to sort of piece it together later, but... He wakes he up. He wakes up, and he's and it's, it's like, like eight years, years later, later. But he hasn't aged. And I guess he hasn't aged because he he went on the spaceship, and their time, you know, when you're traveling light years or whatever, you know, whatever goofy explanation they had for it. But like he didn't age because of their time was a lot slower, I guess, than our time. So he he wakes up eight years later. He thinks he wakes up like a few seconds later. He walks back home, and the people there like the the house is it, it's different people it's kind of like that scene in back to the future three when marty mcfly goes back yeah it's different people. yeah it's different people and so he freaks out and then he <laughs> does he go to the police day i guess he goes to the police or something and then the police get him and then they find his parents his family yeah partner, and, then and he like, winds up at nasa David. he winds up at nasa and it turns out that the spaceship is still around and the spaceship comes back or no they have the spaceship they're harboring the spaceship they have it and then he gets in it and takes off I, I don't know like and then I think if if this movie didn't exist and you were just saying this it would sound like you were making it up as you go along <laughs> so I guess I assume that's how they wrote the script <laughs> uh, but it was good like it had some really funny moments in it well I mean like 80s it was funny. definitely good for Kit now, man this is like classic 80s kid this meets has to alien. be part of that E.T. contingent right I mean this is- definitely yeah definitely it's like the kid you know again it's like once again it's like a ordinary kid uh-huh. run has a run in with some aliens yeah. and it's like an adventure happened. right so it was very 80s kid type story can we just talk about the creature that he's he's he takes back with him yeah that little like it's like poor guy like that guy doesn't know what's going on no i remember i wanted one of those things so bad i know i was like man that'd be so great yeah for sure but like bringing an alien life form to earth and into a different environment would more than likely have catastrophic results. Yeah. But like, is, is he going to keep it a secret the rest of his life? Is he going to be like 80? And then the old thing is a, the thing is 82. Like it's lived. Andrew, there's a lot of questions that aren't answered. Yeah. Does he keep it like in a hamster cage? Yeah. I mean, like, does, how he, does he, what do his parents say when he, when they see it? Yeah. And does then, he keep it hidden from, cause remember he shows his brother. Yeah, how does he explain it? And then if he starts telling the story, he's gonna go back into the, like that NASA Science Center because he's crazy. Yeah, his parents are gonna be like, "Okay, cuckoo." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our son has been committed for many years. We don't talk about David around around, around holidays and friends. The guy that played his brother when he was older it was was Lewis from Teen Wolf. I mean, that guy had a a couple of movies. 
there's there's always that type of actor, right? Like they have a good five year stretch of movies and they completely disappear from the face of the planet. Yeah, I remember he, he, he was, was in another movie called like North Shore. Was, yeah, North Shore. Yeah, that's what it was. It was, a, so it he's was like, like a it was like a it was like a surfing movie or something. Surfing or something. Yeah, so he was like kind of getting out there and then he just disappeared. Matt Adler right. is his name. Matt Adler. Well, Matt Adler, I salute you. You were important for about two or three years yeah. in my life. Yeah. You did a good um, job on the his, movie you were in. His, let's see if he did anything after North Shore, because North Shore came out in 87. Uh, oh, he's still working. He's still... He ha, he does a lot of little bit parts and voice work for voice cartoons. Work. Yeah, I think that's a good go-to for actors when they you could tell there's a point when certain actors get tired of running the game so to speak and a, then they yeah. just do voice work in a way voice work has to be the best gig ever has to be the best gig. i said i was just thinking this like two days ago it's like you basically roll out of bed you're in your pajamas if you want to be it doesn't matter no one's going like yeah. hey you need to dress formally like right. you just go to the studio Mm-hmm. And they go, here's your script, and you're literally reading it. You don't even have to memorize anything. You just have to have the inflection of the character. Mm-hmm. I mean, sweet gig. That's the best, because acting in a movie, in a live-action movie, you have to actually show up, and you actually yeah. have to represent your facial expressions. and No makeup, no wardrobe BS you got to go through. Yeah. And, and, nobody, and, and you can stay anonymous. Nobody knows who you are. Yeah, you can stay anonymous, so you can have a blast with a character and go home and have like dinner like a normal person. Like, yeah, and then you, and then you make like however many thousands of dollars per episode, depending on how popular the show is. Right, that um, is the best gig. Th- this guy Matt Adler was also in Dream a Little Dream, which was one of the Corey's movies. Ah, uh, the Corey's, the two Corey's. Oh, I never saw rest, that movie. So rest I, in I peace. Touch. Wait, isn't one of them still? <laughs> <laughs> I meant rest in peace, Corey Feldman's career. Oh man, that's harsh, Josh. Sorry, Corey Feldman. I actually am a, I actually am a, a fan of Corey Feldman, and I feel bad for those Corys, man. They got. Don't try to backtrack now. It's too late. It's too it's late. Too late. Right. Um, well, I'll just say I apologize. <laughs> um, yeah, I like Corey Feldman too, and he's in a couple movies that you could almost put in that ET. Gremlins. Gremlins and Goonies. But like, I, I mean, Goonies is, I wouldn't it's say not really an alien, but no. it's, again, lots of kids adventures. That's basically an offshoot. And, and Steven Spielberg is involved with that. So, and Gremlins, the first half of Gremlins is very much an E.T. type story. Yep. Yep. Once again, you've got an alien, an alien like creature a living with a family. Yeah. And then it causes all sorts of. Chaos. Wouldn't Gremlins have been a good sitcom? Yeah, I think it would. Yeah, it would have been. It would have mirrored Alf on like another station or something. Oh, Alf, that's another one. Alf, yeah. <laughs> now talk about a weird concept. They put they put a little person in his suit. Well, he was a puppet. No, it was a dude. No, well, yeah, it was a dude, but it was a puppet. It wasn't like a suit. No, I thought it was like a little person was in there. No, I'm pretty sure a little person was in there. I like to I like to believe that anyway. There were a couple scenes where uh, he would like walk around or run, and then of course you know, but those were that's filmed. That's when it was. And that was definitely a little person in a suit. But whenever it would show him, like kind of like you know, on a, on the soundstage, along, like a was, Muppet. 
like while yeah, he was he walking would... <laughs> on the sound stage. <laughs> he'd kind of bob up and down. Yeah, kind of bob. That's how they knew how to show that he was walking. Um, I wonder. So he probably, I guess, there probably wasn't anybody in that suit. Oh no, no, it was a puppet. So like, it's kind of it was like a Henson kind of thing where you have like puppets like those, like Muppets would. You basically control it with two, your both of your hands, and sometimes a third hand from someone else. Like you have your one hand that controls the mouth, and then your other hand controls one of their hands. And then if you need the other hand, then someone else has to control that hand. Man, what a lot of effort to just create a dumb sitcom. <laughs> Do you think this was recorded before a live studio audience? There's no way, right? They they gave the appearance of it. I don't have a. I'm not sure if it was. Did you watch much Alf growing up? Uh, yeah, here and there. I, I it wasn't my favorite. I think, you know, you and I both were kind of on that edge of teenagerism. Yeah. So it's kind of like it, at that point it was probably getting lame. I strongly dislike plot devices like where you're always having to hide something or you know nobody knew that he was there so like anytime someone would come over that he'd have to hide and there was always like there were so many episodes would be would revolve around him almost being seen by somebody and then that somebody like trying to figure it out and you know snooping around the house and then all those close calls and just really contrived jokes yeah it would have been it would have been better if they had hid that stupid kid. <laughs> uh, Brian? Hurry up. People are coming over. Hide Brian. <laughs> hey, Alf's fine. He's more entertaining. I'm reading right now. He, uh, I mean, the, apparently this show was really, did not, was very difficult to film is from what I'm seeing. <laughs> it, apparently nobody liked each other. The uh, oh really? Yeah. Okay, cool. The, That's a good story. Yeah, the dad, the dad especially hated hated everything about like he hated Alf. Like he apparently, <laughs> I'm reading right now. It says it says he tried to strangle Alf the puppet one time. <laughs> <laughs> I like even he hates it so much, knowing that it's not real. He still tried to strangle it. Um, I know you're not real, but I'm gonna just. <laughs> Oh, that time at Juilliard. <laughs> <laughs> he went to Juilliard? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and it was filmed. It was filmed. It did have a laugh track. It was not filmed before a laugh Yeah, laugh track. Audience. That makes sense, yeah. Because who would laugh? Um, so this guy just died. Max Wright was the actor that played him. Yeah, He yeah, just yeah. died. That's right. He did he just die. He just died. When did he die? He died... Uh, a month ago? Two months ago? Yeah, really recently. Um, hang on, let me pull up his Wikipedia page. Max Wright. He looks like a Max. Yeah, he does look like a Max. Uh, ooh, Why he is didn't that? Age very well. I don't know. Um, well, look at it up. June twenty sixth, twenty nineteen. Here we go. Wright was married to Linda uh, Barando from nineteen sixty five until her death from breast cancer in twenty seventeen. Uh, the couple had two children. After the death of his wife, Wright had a relationship with a German male nurse until his death. Quite a plot twist. That came out of nowhere. Um, wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. So he. Um, All right. That happened. Okay. Yeah, hey, he, uh, so he definitely he, had. There was definitely something. In the German else. nurses, I yes. guess. 
Despite becoming his best-known performance, the actor despised the role due to its huge technical demands and the fact that he, a human, played a supporting character for an inanimate object. It was hard work and very grim, he stated in 2000. Um, he was also reportedly very happy when the show was canceled in 1990. I was hugely eager to have it over with, he said in the same interview. According to his co-star in the show... And Shadeen, there was one take, and Max walked off the set, went to his dressing room, got his bags, went to his car, and disappeared. Never saw him again. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> uh, he uh, he was in Grumpier Old Men. Was he? I know I've seen that. Where is he? Ooh, you're the little alien guy? If anything, anything has happened to him, you're going to be... Hey, Willie. Alf. Willie. about you really were you throwing up and everything <laughs> there's something about et that like i understand he's a you know kind of a slimy scaly alien but he had great eyes great eyebrows i think it's the heart that they get like the 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 et like, had heart literally or like figuratively a, well both both but figuratively is what is what i'm it's like you know he connect he could connect on an emotional level, but E.T.'s face was modeled after poet Carl Sandburg, Albert Einstein, and a pug dog. I don't know. That just tells you what what a good director can do for a film. Because Mac and me, mm -hmm. if you don't have it, if you don't have the heart and the imagination, which we all know Spielberg has an abundant amount, then um, it doesn't matter how much money you throw at something; it's still going to be pretty weak. <laughs> you know, Paul Rudd does the uh, every time Paul Rudd. Does an appearance on Conan, Conan O'Brien. He always brings that scene from Mac and Me where the kid in the wheelchair rolls down the hill and falls in the water. Then Mac jumps after him and saves him. And yeah, hasn't so he been bad. doing that for like 11 years? He's been taking that clip to Conan for like 11 years or yeah, something. Yeah, longer than Five years or yeah. something. Except that kid was really in a wheelchair though in real life. Oh. Do you know yeah, what affliction nice. he had or what disease he had? Did he have? Can I let me guess? Hold yeah. on. Did he have cerebral palsy? Good guess, but no. MS. Another good guess. Uh, he had uh, spina bifida. Oh. So, um, yeah. So he was confined to a wheelchair. But um, well, that's good that they gave him a. You know. Yeah. It's like they were actually like you know giving him a shot at acting. You know, yeah. it's like not like not trying to get an actor. Who's who, yeah to know, play? Totally fine. Yeah, they actually. You know what I always think of when I think of Macamy though. What a gnome named Norm. Oh, and a gnome named for anyone listening, a gnome named Norm. You could find it under two different names. The original name was Upworld, and I've seen it on streaming sites called Upworld, which was the original title, and then they changed it to a gnome named Norm. A gnome named Norm is basically too late it's like it came too late it's like way too late for the alien versus human um anthony michael hall is a a cop who causes quite a lot of hijinks and norm he plays by his own is, rules josh he plays, he plays by, by his own rules um and norm is this alien character and i i I haven't seen it recently. You actually watched it, so I'm trying to think of... Not that it really matters, but basically... 
I love you know, this they, movie. They, par- they partner up. They partner up. And what's funny about this is my cousin Mark Harlick is also in this movie. He plays Kaminsky. And you'll, if you watch the movie, you'll see him play. Hold, he'll say this line. So, hold it, Gallagher. He is going for it. I said hold it, Gallagher. He's acting. It's like, he's like, it's like every actor gets in a movie and whether they think it's a good movie or not, they have to go 100% with it. Because there's, it, it just will, it'll be even worse, right? It'll, you know, they don't want to show that they hate it because that's like not being a team player. And right. my cousin Mark is a is a great actor. You know, he's a great character. Well, actor. He actually really is a good actor. He is. He's been on uh, an episode of Seinfeld. He's on a bunch of episodes of The Big Bang Theory. He's still acting. He's on that show Preacher. Mm-hmm. Like uh, he was actually featured as part of the cast on IMDb. They were doing a special on um, Comic Con, and they were all invited. He was one of them. Oh, cool. He plays God in that show. I haven't actually seen the the show. Shame on me, you know. But um, He's still acting. He does a great... And, but like every actor, they get involved sometimes in movies that are like the sort of straight-to-video type movies. He's an L.A. cop. He's a... Uh, a no. Right. A no. He's hot on the trail of a million bucks. He's after the... Uh, the... Lumen! Uh, right. Meet Gallagher and Gnorm. Two guys with nothing in common. Giant robots. Well, almost nothing. Take it easy, will you? You gotta concentrate. They've got to work together and get it together before everything blows apart. Upworld, the normal, it's not. I saw him recently in 42, which was yep. the Jackie Robinson story. He plays um, Herb Pennick, I think is his name. And he uh, was a real... Um, Team, I think he owned the Phillies. I think that's who he he played the the Phillies team owner. I mean, I guess you would consider him a character actor, right? Is that what he would be defined as? That's what they would call him. Like any actor that's had a long prolific career that doesn't become a quote movie star, they call him a character actor. And I think he's one of them. Yeah, he. Ha- I think that's what you would call yeah. him. Yeah, but he's a great actor. Yeah, and he happens to be in one of my favorite Seinfeld episodes. And it's not just because he's in it. It just happens to be one of the funniest late season episodes i think it really is one of the best yeah it's the jerk yeah. store episode it's it's called the comeback i believe i think that's yeah the, title, the comeback and it's it's got the famous george subplot of him writing the jerk store joke yeah and oh yeah riley with a jerk <laughs> store call and they're running out of you um mark was also wasn't he also on a season of uh wings yeah he was. I forgot about Around that. that time? He was on Wings. He was on the very last episode of Cheers. The last episode of Cheers. That's yeah, right. He's, he's had a very prolific career. I mean, you gotta, yeah, he really you're has. Gonna be in a, it's probably one of the better careers you can have. He also had a very unforgettable role in Election. Election. That's right. Yeah. Really, Gosh. really short part, but like the part that everybody remembers. Yeah. One of, yeah. The, one of the most iconic lines from the movie is, is spoken by him. Um so yeah, it's it's weird. Like he did a lot with what little he was given. I think. Um, so yeah, he he was in Jurassic Park three, which I I regret. Jurassic Park three. I still have not seen that. Uh, Neither has America. <laughs> um, well, it, it's good to see. I mean, it's good that he's still working though. I'm, I was really excited to see him, and um, I know that that you know that 
Jackie Robinson movie came out several years ago, but it was kind of cool to see him still, still out, still out there. Um, he looks good. He hadn't he hadn't aged at all. Yeah, he's he's done what? Well. Yeah, I think he's taking care of himself. Yeah, he looks pretty, pretty good. good for someone who's um, almost seventy. Back to a gnome named Norm. I guess we rented it, or how did we come across it? I mean, I, obviously. We rented it because it, w- it wasn't available in any other format. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, we obviously we, we obviously got it with the sole purpose of watching it because of Mark. Like we knew, yeah, because he, he gave us the he gave the, the uh, script. Jared and I the script. Yeah, yeah. he and was, it was called um, Upworld when the in the original draft of the script it was called it was Upworld. Upworld. Right? Yeah. So when I I remember receiving the script from Mark, he sent it to us. And I was like, oh, cool, because Mark would send us stuff. Like he, I remember yeah. him, he sent us the script to School Ties, that movie School Ties with Brendan Fraser, because he was up for that role. Like he was, he auditioned. For what role? Brendan Fraser's role. What? In he would have been Ties. way yeah. too old. No, 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 no. He couldn't have been. No, he did. He's, that's why he sent it to us, because he was going to be in that, he was, he was going to audition for it. He would have been 42 years old. Yeah, I know. Doesn't make any sense. Maybe Why he was going to play another role or something. I don't remember really. He must but have been, I, I, he must have been but, up for like maybe the one of the teachers or something. Maybe so. Yeah, there's I mean, no way. There's no way he was trying out for the. I wonder how he the lead that would have been opposite Matt Damon, who was like yeah. 20 years old. I, I, heck, if I know. Anyway, he sent us a script. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, he uh, so he would send us those those things, and when he sent us Upworld, I was thinking like, oh man, this seems like a really cool. It's gonna be like a science fiction cool thing. And then I read it, and I was like, oh yikes, yeah. When yeah, did I you just, find I out? I was more excited about the fact that Anthony Michael Hall was in it because that made it seem more legitimate to me. It was like, oh, he's got like a major role alongside. Anthony Michael Hall and Jerry Orbach, and Jerry like, Orbach. That made it seem legit to me, and yeah. so I remember being excited about that because at that point Anthony Michael Hall was definitely on the other side of his peak. I mean, he peaked, I would say, yeah. in that eighty-five, eighty-six with like Sixteen Ooh. Candles and Breakfast Club and those John Hughes movies. But when he started doing stuff like and Saturday Night Live, but then when he started doing stuff like Johnny Be Good, it was like you could tell things were going yeah. sideways for him. Talk about the weirdest movie, like Johnny Be Good. The have you seen it recently? I haven't seen it recently. I saw it when it came out. Obviously, can you go like back and watch else. it just for me? Just like for just, you, Josh. I'll just do try it to just get through you. it because it's so bizarre. Like I know it's a comedy or whatever it's trying to be, but. Things are happening, and you, I have no clue what's going on. Like, like why things are happening. It's that kind of a movie. And then you, what's weird about it is there's a weird, very odd chemistry between Anthony Michael Hall and why am I Robert Downey Jr. Robert, there's a yeah, there's a weird chemistry between Anthony Michael Hall and Robert Downey Jr. And it kind of works, but then the rest of the movie is just weird, terrible. Like you don't know why things are happening, and the jokes are. Just out of nowhere. I don't know. It's weird. So I, I recommend watching it just so you can relate to what I'm saying. Was that Uma Thurman's first major film? Yep. Sure was. She looks good in it. She looks she good. Does. She's young. Yeah. She does. Yeah, she looks good. Um, well, you, you know, they did have a weird chemistry, those two. Anthony Michael Hall and Robert Downey Jr. I mean, they apparently were friends. Um, or at least 
Yeah, they had to have been because they were both. Remember, they were both on Saturday Night Live during that failed. Yeah, eighty-five. That was a season. weird time in Saturday Night Live's history. That was that was when Saturday Night Live was probably the closest it's ever been to being just outright canceled. Because it was, I mean, the cast maybe, you know, on paper, maybe one of the best casts they've ever had as far on as paper. On paper, like that 1985 Saturday Night Live cast. Let me just give it to you real quick. I mean, we are all over some. We are yeah. All we are over bouncing the road. off the walls, but the cast was Joan Cusack, Robert Downey Jr., Nora Dunn, Anthony Michael Hall, John Lovett, Dennis Miller, Randy Quaid, um, Al Franklin, Al Franklin, Al Franken, and Damon Wayans was was uh, was on a few episodes. That's a as far as like, that's like one of the best casts, maybe ever. But yeah, I guess uh, like the a lot of like sort of star, a little bit of star power. Maybe right? that's what. Like, I'm, yeah, that's in, what I'm in, to in say, an like. actor sense, not really in a comedian sense. That's what's so weird about it. It shows like all these actors. Yeah, if like you, they're comedic actors, but they're not comedians. You know. Well, and they're not used to that sort of live stage, right? performance type stuff I mean Robert Downey Jr. probably is now but I mean I don't know how much theater he had done at that point or I mean you know it seems like the Saturday Night Live formula was to put stand-up comedians and writers of either sitcoms or late night talk shows like that was kind of the formula they used and so they you know I mean aside like I mean Eddie Murphy you know is a good example of that but like they got away from that and put on these yeah put these stars in there and you would think like if you if you hand this to me and say okay here's what we got we got Joan Cusack, Downey Jr., Anthony Michael Hall, Randy Quaid just that alone I'm like okay I'm in like that's that's a legit that that's going to be great and then it apparently was took him to the brink of getting canceled <laughs> Yeah, they, I mean, if you ever catch some of the old episodes during that time period, I mean, it is weird. The audience is, like, dead silent. Well, whenever they do retrospectives of the Saturday Night Live run, they never show clips from that season. Yeah, oh, never. Yeah, it's, like, dead to them. Like, they pretend it didn't exist. Yeah. That's because uh, Lauren Michaels wasn't the producer, yeah, he it was Ebersol that was Ebersol. Yeah, so they they he's he's probably like, well, I wasn't there, so I'm not gonna claim it. Well, and when Lorne Michaels came back, he came back after that '84 or after that '85 uh, '86 season. Um, he came back and he basically fired the entire cast. Uh, he kept Nora Dunn and John Lovitz and Dennis Miller, but pretty much everybody else was kicked out. And that's, and that's what led to getting Carvey and Phil Hartman and Jan Hooks, Victoria Jackson and Kevin Nealon, which basically completely changed. I mean, it became the, the, like a rebirth of the show. I mean, that's when the show was really at its best, maybe. Maybe even as good or better than the late seven, uh, mid to late 70s. I, I would take the mid to late 80s over the mid to late 70s, just, just my personal preference. As much as I like Belushi and... Bill Murray and Chevy Chase and those guys when I mean Dana Carvey and Phil Hartman I think were and John Lovitz I think were just better yeah to me to me yeah. it's just a different time there's there even in the 70s there's a lot of weird sketches if you catch 
the full yeah. episodes. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of weird stuff there, too. So it's not Dutch. like... Yeah. It's like a lot yeah. of like dead silence where it's like, what's going on? Like, Well, so we... Um, so back to E.T. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, we kind of went off on a totally different direction. I hope, uh, hope everybody listening is still with us. Um, and if you're not, we apologize, but... Um, it was it was nice kind of it was kind of nice living re- reliving some of those 80s 80s movies and 80s TV shows for sure. Yeah, this was a good stream of consciousness show. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening and 